This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center. Broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. It is Thursday, February 1st, our second show. We have a great topic today, so let's get things started. How is everybody doing on this fine Thursday morning? It's 11 o'clock, first day of February. Spring is that much closer, which means baseball season is almost upon us. Pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting to spring training fairly soon. And speaking of baseball... There was a pretty, I guess we could say major headline that I saw, but I didn't think about discussing this on the show until my roommate, Nick, who unfortunately is not able to be here today, who was going to come on the show and help discuss it with me, but he was the one that suggested that we talk about it here on the show, and I think that fits really well with what we try to do here and talk about big issues in sports. The Cleveland Indians will be abandoning the Chief Wahoo logo next year. Now, this is something that's going to begin in the 2019 season, so not next season, but a year from now. They're going to completely scratch the Chief Wahoo logo off of their uniforms And I'm guessing that it will be no longer used on any other team-sponsored apparel, items, anything for sale, anything on display. I'm going to guess the field will no longer display that logo. I know they've already sort of made the transition by they no longer use the logo on their caps. They use the more generic Red Sea. Um, for a while now, I think that this has been something that not just the Cleveland Indians organization has wanted to change, but sort of many sports teams around the country that have Native Americans as their mascot and or team name. The Redskins are another organization that come under a lot of fire for their team name. We'll get into that later. Certainly, I think we're at the point now in 2018 where it's outdated to have a logo that many people take offense to, Um, and understandably so. Chief Wahoo was the, if you're not aware of what the logo um, looks like, it's a cartoonish uh, character of a Native American that probably doesn't represent Native Americans the way they want to be represented. The um, Chief Wahoo's skin color is very apparently red, and we're at the point now where 
top executives in Major League Baseball, and now even the commissioner, Rob Manfred, um, said in a statement, uh, I believe through the New York Times, that the Indians organization, quote, ultimately agreed with my position that the logo is no longer appropriate for on-field use in Major League Baseball, and I appreciate Mr. Dolan's acknowledgement that removing it from the on-field uniform by the start of the 2019 season is the right course, end quote. Also pulling from the Times article here, Philip Yenyo, uh, the executive director of the American Indian Movement of Ohio, is praising this decision, uh, calling it another step in the right direction. Not only is Yenyo praising the decision to remove the Chief Wahoo logo from team-sponsored fields and uniforms, but he's also suggesting that the Braves change their entire name to something else. Now, this is, like we were talking about earlier, there's other teams that are under pressure uh, to change their names, their team names. Now, I think that the team name, the Braves, um, more positively reflects Native American culture than, say, the Redskins. But at the end of the day, I don't believe that calls up to us. I think that Yenyo and these American Indian movement groups, these Native American movement groups, should be the ones to call it at the end of the day, whether they believe a team name should be changed because it's their heritage that these teams are representing. And this is not just a professional or amateur uh, type problem for athletics. In terms of athletics, um, a lot of high school a lot of high school programs are starting to move away from mascots that deliberately use Native American names. And because of this, we are seeing a rift, a pretty big, I guess you could say, gap between the people who want to keep the team name and the people who believe that the team name should be changed. And I actually ran a poll on the Twitter account. If you're not following us on Twitter, we are at Unbeaten Show. That's U-N-B-E-A-T-O-N Show. We do a lot of polls there. You can see any other updates we may have about the show on that page. So go on to Twitter and follow that account. But like I said, we ran a poll. We run a poll every week. This week was obviously about today's theme, which was the team names of Native Americans. And I posted the question, should the Washington Redskins change their team name slash mascot to something more politically correct? The responses were overly excuse me, were overwhelming, to say the least. Should they change their name? 24% said yes. 76% said no. Now, this is obviously a very small sample size, and I have no idea who voted. I retweeted it on my personal account, and 
one other account. So I'm not quite sure the demographic that's voting here, but clearly a good majority of people are comfortable with leaving the team name where it's at. Personally, I disagree. I think that this is something we need to change immediately. And I get there's there's a lot of tradition surrounding keeping names. The Redskins have been around a very long time. Same with the Braves. The Braves were um, in Boston even before they were in Atlanta. That's how they got their team name uh, because of the large amount of Native Americans, the Native American history that comes from the Northeast and Boston and New England in general um, because, like I said, that's where the Braves were originally uh, founded. So I get that there's a lot of tradition and you could even say uh, respects being paid to the Native Americans, but at the end of the day, I think that um, it's not something that they want to uh, be a representation of their people. And I can't speak for every Native American, but going off of what I've read, what I've researched in the Times article and anything else I found online is that the major heads of these Native American uh, movement groups is that they want the names changed and that it's the quote-unquote another step in the right direction. And if you want to solely think of what the fans, their opinion of this, I'm going to play a short uh, phone clip uh, from ESPN. Aaron Goldhammer talked about what the fans think of this. So I'm going to play that short clip right now. Well, a couple things on this. First of all, it's a very divisive issue, just like anything politically now. It's you're going to get people screaming on either side of this issue, and it's it's hard to have a really productive, interesting conversation about this topic because it's one that fans are really passionate about. Um, I think there are a lot of fans today who are wearing their Keep the Chiefs T-shirts, which is a popular T-shirt in Cleveland. But I, I think the majority of people, the majority of Indians fans, have transitioned into that Block C logo over time. They realize that the Indians aren't raiding your closet and taking all your Chief Wahoo merchandise from your childhood away. They're not going to go back and CGI in uh, Block C logo on Pedro Serrano in the movie Major League. So Chief Wahoo will be a part of the Indians' history. But people realize, I think, too, that it is a logo that sort of lives in the past and should live in the past. And I think we're hearing a lot of it's time to move on from Indians fans today. I think they're glad that Major League Baseball is the one to push the decision, not the Indians' ownership or the Indians' organization. Um, And I think as long as the Indians continue to put a competitive product on the field to fans, that's the most important thing of all. I think um, that clip, I think Goldhammer uh, very well explains the situation going on in Cleveland it's still all the logo is still always going to be a part of their history, but it's a compromise. At the same time, they have to do what is politically correct now and take away the Chief Wahoo logo. And I think it's interesting that he brings up the point that it wasn't the team's idea to make this change, but it came more from Manfred 
and Major League Baseball. And we all know that Manfred's main thing um, that won him the commissioner job was that he's going to appeal to more younger fans. He's going to bring more revenue, more fans, uh, more excitement into baseball. So I think that if Indians fans can see that this is coming from Manfred and the Major League Baseball uh, executive offices, then maybe they can see that this is a better, a more strategic move from baseball and not just taking away their favorite logo because at the end of the day, they'll still have that as part of their history. They'll still have the older logo, but they're meeting with the times, they're trying to get new fans, and at the same time now, at least, if it makes you feel any better, um, it wasn't your own organization that took the logo away from you, if that helps you sleep better at night. And obviously, we conducted our poll like we always do every week, and it's a very small, small sample size, but Cleveland.com ran their own poll. This I'm going to guess this website has a little bit of a bigger following than ours, and the general consensus was to hashtag keep the chief opposed to hashtag drop the chief 76.1% to 23.9%. That is virtually exactly the same percentages that we ran on our poll, only this is just a much larger sample size, which means that there's a lot of people out there that want to keep this tradition, keep the tradition of the team name, uh, keep it sacred. Um, But going back to the whole uh, Philip Yenyo quotes, the Washington Post has a few more quotes from him. Um, And he, he has an interesting point. He says, quote, they're not going far enough. I don't understand the waiting until 2019 to get rid of it. And the nickname has to go too. If they don't get rid of the Indian's name, our culture and our spirituality are still going to be mocked by fans. They're still going to be dressed up in the red face and wearing feathers. The most interesting point he brings up is that he can't believe they're waiting a full year to take the logo off the uniforms. And I do think that is interesting. Why not just take it away now? We're not in the middle of a season. It hasn't started yet. I understand maybe you want a grace period to help, I don't know, get your fans adjusted to not having the logo on the uniform. But I don't think that's that shouldn't be a big deal. I think they've already gotten used to the, the, the Block C, the Red C. Uh, logo that's on the caps now so why not just get rid of it sooner than later than than draw out this this story that mm, sort of negatively drawing it drawing negative attention to your club so um, with that being said we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk some hockey east and UMass sports in general don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this This is Unbeaten on WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. 
UMass Men and Women Basketball on WMUA is supported by listeners like you and by Collective Copies, a worker-owned print shop with a mission. Printing, publishing, and promotion. 11 worker owners who share over 150 years of experience in the print industry are there to help you at every step. Collective Copies in Amherst and Florence and online 24-7 at collectivecopies.com. Welcome back to Unbeaten. Thanks for staying with us. Usually, after the break, I go into some UMass sports, but I think there was a lot going on in Hockey East this weekend, Um, so let's jump right into it. The first game I want to cover is the UMass Lowell BC game, UMass Lowell won in a 3-2 upset against number 16-ranked Boston College this Friday night at the Songus Center. Freshman redshirt Chris Schutz snuck in the deciding goal past Eagle netminder Joseph Wool at 6.30 of the third period to claim the win. UMass Lowell is now have won 9 of their last 11 in Hockey East. They're currently tied at fourth place with Boston University in the standings, the conference standings. And um, the Eagles, they tried to mount a comeback of their own. They tried scoring, I believe it was two goals early in the third. um, And Graham McPhee was the one to tally both of uh, those markers. Um, other than that, the, uh, Riverhawks ended up losing the next game against BC. It was a two-game weekend series. They lost 5-2 on Saturday night when they traveled to Chestnut Hill, um, on the campus of Boston College, and they lost that game, so they split the series, uh, and UMass Lowell will move on to the AIC Yellow Jackets next. That game will be played Tuesday. February 6th. The next uh, other important game was the UConn-New Hampshire game in which freshman defenseman Adam Karashik scored two goals, lifting UConn to a 3-2 victory. Um, He slapped in a bouncing puck from inside the blue line. That was the game, the late game winner. Uh, securing UMass, uh, excuse me, UConn's 3-2 victory over UNH in Hartford. They played at the XL Center. Karashik, who's actually a Connecticut native, uh, was also the one who opened up the scoring. That was his first goal of the night. Um, and obviously we know that he scored two goals, which doubles his total on the season. So he now has four. Um, since joining Hockey East in the 2014-15 season, UConn has... I guess had the edge over UNH in head-to-head play. Uh, they're six and four now, which coincidentally the Huskies have won their past six straight games against the Wildcats, which means since entering Hockey East, they lost their first four games, and now they've won their last six. So they're on a pretty good hot streak against UNH. Um, Wildcats, the UNH tried to score a few of their own goals, one in the first period, one in the third. Wasn't quite uh, how they expected it to go because, again, they fell short by one. They lost 3-2. 
they lost the series. They lost both games on the weekends to UConn, so they were swept by the Huskies this season. Um, UConn will move on to BC, Boston College, Friday night when the Eagles come to the XL Center. The last game, last important game of this weekend that I want to talk about is the Vermont Merrimack game that went to the final minute of overtime. Ross Carlton came up big for the Catamounts. He scored the overtime game winner off a redirect. That was Saturday night in North Andover to give the University of Massachusetts a dramatic 2-1 to win. Uh, with that loss, Merrimack extends its losing streak to four games. Merrimack on a little bit of a slide. There were a lot of wins. Excuse me. There were a lot of, I guess, ground to cover this week in Hockey East as there were a decent amount of uh, upsets. So there was room for teams to jump up in the standings. Whether they took advantage of that or not is beside the point. Um, But Merrimack Warrior... Jake Hennig was the one to open up the scoring. He would earn his 36th career goal, which is pretty impressive, and that would tie him for the most goals on the team with nine. The Catamounts then matched the Warriors later on in the second period as Alex Esposito fed a one-timer to Matt Alvaro. That was Alvaro's third goal of the season. The game stayed that way, tied up 1-1. Uh, through the rest of regulation, as they went into overtime, Vermont obviously scored that exciting overtime goal. That was Ross Colton, and it was with like a minute and five seconds left to go. So they really came out, shocked Merrimack at home. Not the way Merrimack wants to look right now, especially on that four-game skid. Uh, both the goalies, Stefano Slekas and Craig Patano, Pantano, they both recorded 27 saves. Vermont will now have to face the number eight-ranked Providence Friars. The Friars will travel to Gutterson Fieldhouse in Vermont. That game will be played on Friday, February 2nd. Those were all snippets from my Collegian article, if you want to go check that out. Um, That's on dailycollegian.com. That's from my Hockey East notebook. I figured I'd share that with you guys on the show so that we would have a little bit of a Hockey East recap, if you didn't know what's going on. Um, And real quick, I'm just going to read the standings so everybody knows where the teams are at this point in the season. We have tournament play coming up very soon and also the bean pot coming up as well Uh, but getting back to the standings sitting on top with an impressive 13 and 5 record is Boston College the records I'm going to read to you will be the Hockey East records not the team's overall records that would include non-conference games these are strictly conference game records so Boston College sits on top at an impressive 13 and 5 Northeastern right below them 11 and 5 Providence 10 and 5 
tied at fourth, like we mentioned earlier, Boston University and UMass Lowell. Boston University sits at nine and seven, and UMass Lowell at ten and eight. Coming in at sixth is Maine, just above five hundred at eight and six. Transitioning into teams below five hundred, we have number seven UConn at eight and eleven. UMass rounds out the eighth spot at five and ten. Um, actually, excuse me, there's a three-way tie for eighth place. New Hampshire is at four and nine, and Vermont's also at four and nine. So Massachusetts, UNH, and UVM all tied for eighth place, which leaves Merrimack at the bottom in 11th place at four and 11. Still a lot of exciting games to be played. Um, a lot of televised games, whether that be on Nesson or ESPN3. Um, now that things are heating up, there'll be a little bit more coverage, especially TV coverage. So you're going to want to tune into those games and I guess start preparing for tournament time because uh, it's going to start heating up really quick. Uh, now moving on to UMass Athletics. Spring sports are right around the corner before we get into that. We'll kind of just recap some of the major winter sports <clears throat> and what's been going on there. Hockey sits at 11, 14, and 1. They just lost to the main Black Bears at home 3-2 to in their most recent game. The men's basketball team sits at a overall 10 and 13 record. They just played a very exciting game against URI at the Mullen Center last night or two nights ago, excuse me, um, on Tuesday night and it was one it was probably one of the bigger crowds I've seen at the Mullen Center. I know it's a it's a big venue. It holds roughly like 9 or 10,000 people. Uh, there still was a good crowd, I think, because you know it was a it was a week night, and students would rather go to a game than do homework, opposed to you know on the weekends where you know students may be doing other things. Um, so it was good to see a good crowd out there. The most exciting part of the game had to be, I mean, obviously at the end. Actually, before we get to that, we'll talk about the beginning of the game. Uh, UMass got off to the Minutemen got off to a really hot start. At the beginning, uh, I think they were up by like maybe like 10 or 11 at one point. I can't recall exactly, but they jumped off to a really early lead. Um, and then they sort of, they definitely lost it before halftime. I remember that. Uh, they were actually, I believe it was Luan, Luan Pipkins hit a pretty exciting uh, three-point shot right before halftime. So that was, I think that maybe cut the deficit by a little bit, uh, and then the rest of the game was sort of a, a sprint and chase kind of thing where URI would would go up by a lot, and then UMass would gradually sort of come back and make it a close game, and then it got to the very end where, you know, we were down by three, and then there were fouls, and eventually we were down by two, and Luan Pipkins, I think, was at the line and he made the first point. We were down by two. Had to intentionally miss the second free throw so that they could go for a two-point play, a 
two-point field goal. Um, but immediately after that, there was, I think, a lane violation. The whole crowd went silent. The ref called a foul. Nobody knew what was going on. It ended up being, I mean, obviously it wasn't a foul on UMass, but I think everyone kind of held their breath in the Mullen Center for a second because we thought there could have been a shooting foul on Pipkins, uh, and there could be hope because that would have tied the game. Definitely would have sent it in overtime as I think there was like a second or even like .8 tenths of a second on the clock. So it was very exciting towards the end. I think that uh, you can't really hang your head on this one. It's URI such a hot team right now. They've been a hot team for quite some time now, at least in the past few years. They've been really exciting to watch, and their guards just don't miss. They're just always hitting their shots. So... I know McCall, I think, in an interview said he doesn't really preach moral victories. I think the team's sick of losing. They're sick of losing close games. So you could say, okay, well, maybe the teams are, maybe they're they're close. They're close enough. They're not losing, but they're just getting beat. But at the same time, it's just translating into a pretty ugly record, especially a pretty ugly conference record where we've only won three games in the Atlantic 10 or three and seven and uh, I guess transitioning into UMass women's basketball they had a very exciting game the other day against URI whereas the men didn't have so much success against URI but the minute women won 61-59 in a like dramatic comeback fashion type game Uh, the women are still struggling a little bit but like men's basketball like everything here at UMass we're on the rise, and they're coming back. Exciting time to be a student, a fan. Um, looking forward to seeing these teams become something special. So with that being said, that's all the time we have today. Uh, thank you for listening to Unbeaten on 91.1 WNUA. <laughs>